This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Hi, this is Arjun. And I have the best seat in the house because I get a chance to talk to incredible leaders from all walks of life. All walks of life is very important because each one of us, our journeys are different, starting points are different, destinations are different, and that's the reason I thoroughly enjoy these conversations. And this, to me, is a very special conversation. One, because it's my 101st episode. And secondly, I am talking to the Jeff Creeley as my VIP guest. Jeff is the CEO of Real News Public Relations, author of Free Publicity, host of The Jeff Creeley Show, and former Emmy award-winning TV reporter from Dallas, Texas. So on my bucket list, I had that one thing, talk to an Emmy award-winning TV reporter, and today I'm checking that. Jeff retired from TV news after 25 years in the business to start the country's first all journalist PR firm. And that to me is very intriguing because PR is all about getting through to journalists and what could be a better way to talk to somebody who has been on the other side for 25 years. I really want to know a little bit more about that. Over the course of his career, Jeff has made hundreds of national news appearances, won several Emmy Awards, and was named the Texas Associated Press's the best TV reporter in the state. Jeff now uses his experience and knowledge of the newsroom to run one of Dallas's largest PR firms. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big, Jeff. I'm so thrilled. Thank you so much. And I should say, I have my own show, and so I'm used to asking the questions. This is going to be different. Absolutely, Jeff. And again, you know, we are totally, this is a conversation. You can ask me a few questions too. So, you know, Absolutely. you can be Jeff, just, just be Jeff. So Jeff, I just want to understand at the very beginning, I want to go back to your incredible career. Like you were born to be a journalist. You're kind. What got you started in this field? So uh, my father was a minister in downtown Detroit, and I, I say that he was pretty savvy PR guy because he figured out a way to get ABC, NBC, and CBS to come cover him. He became the voice of the homeless in downtown Detroit, and every uh, Christmas, every Easter, there would be TV cameras in the church talking about those, those holidays. And so uh, I think I... I watched my dad and I said to myself, man, he really charmed the media and, he, and he's got all these cool reporters coming in to cover him and ask him questions. I think I'd love to be a TV reporter. And so I, I climbed the ranks of television news from Lansing, Michigan to um, Omaha, Nebraska, Minneapolis, Minnesota for four freezing years. And then the last 15 were on the streets of Dallas. And um, as you outlined in the, in the wonderful intro, I had a chance to do some really cool things. I won some Emmy Awards. I helped free an innocent man from prison. Uh, I interviewed presidents and movie stars. I got to do a lot of cool things. Uh, but now I think I'm on my, my best uh, chapter of my life because 
as you know, you're an entrepreneur. There's nothing like being the boss. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your dad, the cool PR person, your admiration, mentor, inspiration. So today, if you were to make a documentary on your dad, his amazing PR skills, what would be some stories that you would highlight? Well, I, I love what my father did. He didn't read a single PR book. He just reasoned that what better way to promote his downtown ministry than through the media. And so he looked at local TV and said, you know, they always need somebody to talk about holidays like Easter and Christmas. They always need someone to talk about homelessness every time it gets cold. It might as well be me. And so he had the the nerve to just call up the TV stations mm -hmm. and say, hey, my name is Reverend Bob. I'm at Fort Street Presbyterian Church in downtown Detroit. And I know we're coming up on Christmas and you probably at some point will need some shots of people in, in a uh, sanctuary uh, worshiping. And uh, it, let me make my sanctuary open to you. And so <laughs> he, you know, without reading a single PR book, figured out a way to kind of, uh, get the entire Detroit media to fall in love with him. And so um, I actually grew up kind of thinking everybody's dad was on TV. It wasn't until later that I learned that my father was a pretty savvy PR guy. Wow. So to me, what I learned right away is he saw the need, he saw the unique niche he provides, he saw the value he was adding to the news reporters not just trying to win himself. And then he had the courage to make those phone calls because many a time the answer is no when we don't call. I'm so glad you shared this story. Thank you. So now let's look at your journey to run Dallas's or Texas's largest PR firm. And I can say that because I'm a little biased. I just absolutely admire what you're doing. Thank you. So what made you make that transition? Because at 25 years where you were going, I really think that your career was at a point where you could have gone to any TV station anywhere in the country, maybe even international. What made you quit? So I wrote a book in 2002, uh, and the book was called Free Publicity, A TV Reporter Shares the Secrets for Getting Covered on the News. My TV station allowed me to speak, but they forbid me from taking a speaker's fee. And in a strange way, they uh, did me a favor because if you're selling a $10 book and you cannot get a speaker's fee, you're trying to make it up in volume. Mm -hmm. So you're talking to a crazy man who gave uh, 300 speeches a year for six straight years in addition to his TV job. Mm -hmm. Breakfast speech, lunch speech, go to work at Fox 4. Breakfast speech, lunch speech, go to work at Fox 4. Um, I sold 70,000 books from the back of the room, just wow. through, the, through speeches. And, and when you're that busy speaking and signing books, you're constantly getting job offers. So I kept hearing the same thing. Man, Jeff Curley, I could buy your little do-it-yourself book, but I don't have time to do any of this stuff. Could I just hire you? And I would turn away the money. I'd say, no, it's unethical. I'm on TV. I really can't, uh, I can't take money and, and I can't give you advice. Uh, and they'd say, well, can you give me free advice? And I'd give them free advice on who to call, what to say. And then uh, two or three days later, they'd say, 
Jeff Crilly, you're a genius. <laughs> Do you mm -hmm. get the Sunday Dallas Morning News? Go out in your driveway, see whose face is on the front page of the Sunday Dallas Morning News. Wow. And I would pick up the paper from my driveway and I'd see the face of somebody I'd given free advice to. And I realized, wow, I'm better at this PR stuff than 99.9% .9 of the people who are pitching me stories. And you, you made a compliment. You said I could have gone anywhere that I wanted in, in the news business. But to be honest with you, my, my satisfaction in the news business was on the decline. Mm. I was covering murders and fires every night. I felt like I was kind of losing a little piece of my soul every day by telling depressing stories. And the thing that was getting me out of bed in the morning was speaking and making people laugh. Mm -hmm. And so I got my wife's permission to quit in 2008. Uh, I didn't know it, but it was the beginning of the downturn. It was the beginning of the Great Recession. So I quit in May of 2008. And I think by July of 2008, we're in a full-blown recession. <laughs> but uh, I like to say, you know, I was scrappy. I had already sold 70,000 books declaring me the expert. And so I never had a bad year. Uh, year one, I, and I believe in transparency, uh, as a gift to the people watching this who are thinking about quitting their day job. Um, I started out charging three grand a month for public relations. And in year one, I had 10 clients paying me three grand a month. So awesome. I'm making 30 grand a month from my home. I was making more than I was in TV news. Uh, second year, uh, 20 clients paying me three grand a month. I'm making 60 grand a month uh, running a firm out of my home. Uh, then I started hiring people and now I wake up and 13 years later, I have uh, 20 full-time employees, more than 140 clients on retainer. The largest is Walmart. The smallest is an author at home. And I pinch myself every day because I'm living, I'm living my best life. I, um, I'm only inviting people into my company that uh, fit my mold. And by my mold is I'm a pleaser. I'm a middle child, son of a minister. My love language is praise. So I just want 140 people every month to send me a, uh, a birthday cake <laughs> telling me how wonderful I am. And the only way you do that is if you um, bring in clients that you know you can make happy. So I'm, I'm, I've become choosy about my clients. Uh, I, I want to choose clients that I know I can make happy. And then I also get the privilege of inviting people into my company as an employee. And I have been through a couple of uh, times in the life of this little company of mine where I didn't want to go to work. The company was toxic. I had hired the wrong employee. It was making the company sick. And so I wake up every day with the same pledge. Um, please allow me to invite in cool employees who will continue to grow this wonderful company that we have and uh, nourish this culture that I treasure. And please let uh, great clients come my way that I know I can add value to. And, and I get to work with my son and my daughter every day. I mean, I truly pinch myself. I, I get to do this. I, not, not I have to wake up and do this. I get to do this another day. So to me, as you talked about year one, I feel the transition this big has its moments. What were some of the challenges and what made you stay true to this new journey and overcome those challenges? So one, one challenge was in year one, despite making 30 grand a month, you know, clients will sometimes be late paying. And so I had to learn, wow, what happens when a client is 
late on their bill. Uh, and I remember cash flow issues in year one that were challenging and I was getting uh, nervous because uh, you know, I had a, a mortgage payment to make. And, and so in year one, I, I don't think I completely figured out the business side of running a PR firm. Another challenge that presented itself later as I started hiring employees is I figured out very quickly that not every person is, is good for your culture. And there was, a, there was a time, this is about eight years ago, where we had hired one particular employee who just had the wrong mojo. He was bad energy. And I remember walking across the parking lot to the company and saying to myself, I don't want to go to work today. Mm-hmm. And when I said that, I kind of woke up and I said, wow, if the owner of the company does not want to come to work at this company, this is a very sick company. And I told my then vice president, I said, we need to um, let this one employee go and find other opportunities. And it just so happened, my wife and I were leaving for Spain a week later. And I told my then vice president, by the time I get back from Spain, this employee needs to be gone. And um, I'm sitting on the tarmac. They're about to tell us to close down our phones. And I got a one word text from my then vice president. It just said one word done <laughs> and this and this uh, tranquility just washed over me i could go to spain and not worry and the crazy thing is i came back to a completely different company than the one i left just removing this one toxic employee suddenly made the company happy again and so a big lesson for the folks who are on this call or just uh, watching the show is is you know you, if you're a company owner, you're in, in control of, of the culture. And sometimes you've got to look that person in the mirror and say, am I the problem? Am hmm. I, am I, am I toxic? Am I hiring the wrong people? What am I doing wrong? If it's not a happy company and you're the owner, you're the problem. You know, as I listen to you, I just want to push you a little. Is none of us knowingly hired the wrong person or make a wrong decision? From hindsight, did you ever look at what was in your recruiting procedure that should change? So somebody who doesn't fit and is toxic to an environment doesn't get through ever again. Yeah. Well, I think first become clear on what you what you want in an employee. And I'm I'm a big fan of hire for character, teach skills. A lot of the things that we do at Real News PR um, are things that can be taught to somebody or they can grow into it. But if you come with a, a person who just has a character flaw or somebody who is not going to, to fit, um, that needs to be a red flag. And then if you do happen to hire somebody who doesn't fit, um, I think you need a one, two, three strikes you're out policy and start um, putting those letters in the file early. Uh, when bad behavior creeps up, I mean, everybody can have a bad day, but if, if you have an employee that's really acting up and this is not who you stand for, mm-hmm. don't make apologies for that employee. Don't say, well, they're a great salesperson, so I'll put up with it. Um, I know far too many company owners who have become hostages of their own company. And I raised my hand, I was a hostage of my own company a couple of times in the life of the company where I was being bullied because I'm a nice guy. 
and rather than fight, I usually back down. I usually apologize. And um, after the last person we let go to find another opportunity, I just swore. I, I said, I'll never do this again. I will never be hostage in my own company. I'm, I'm the guy who lets people in. Just take control, Jeff. And for every entrepreneur watching this show, um, it's easy to make excuses for people. It's easy to come up with a, a story that you tell yourself why you cannot let this employee go because they're too valuable to the, to the company. My aha was in both cases when we let these toxic employees go, company got happier, company got more productive, company made more money. So you are effectively in charge as the chief happiness officer of your organization. Absolutely. And that's a very important decision. So I want to push you a little more on the agency deliverable side. Knowing little bit on that field, more from outside, talking to PR agencies. You know, most PR agencies try to sell you a buffet. They try to sell you a lot of things that you don't want. Somehow they have, there is this whole rule that they want to take you to 10,000, 20,000, 30, 50,000 dollars a month and load it with incredible amount of things that they don't like as a client, I do not need. So as you started going through, you talked about happy team members, happy clients, this whole all journalist PR firm, how did you separate yourself from other PR companies? Like what is it? that your company is not? And what is it that put, makes you one of one, not even one of you? That's a wonderful question. And so um, in my industry, the tail wags the dog far too many times. Uh, what I mean by that is client comes up with a bad idea, tells the PR firm, hey, let's write a press release. At that point, the PR firm should tell the client, hey, that's a bad idea. Like the media doesn't care about that. And, and you hired us for our expertise. But instead, many PR firms in this country say, great idea, we'll write a press release. And so they write this kind of meaningless press release that pleases the client. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes this process can take a week. They send it up to legal, they make small changes in the press release, then they blast it out to 10,000 news organizations and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. The client says to the PR firm, where's all my coverage? And they say, well, it was a great press release. You read it. You approved it. Um, that was probably the day that President Biden did blah, 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 which is every day. <laughs> and so many PR firms kind of blame their lack of success on the news cycle. And I'm sorry, but the media is going to lead with something every single day. You can't continuously blame it on the media. What we do at Real News PR is, and, and I do say I choose my clients. I don't need anybody's money anymore. And that's a very powerful position to be in. So client comes to us. I explain to them that we're a very different PR firm. We're all former journalists. We think like journalists. Our friends are journalists. And so if you come up with a bad idea, we're going to tell you that's a bad idea. You hired us to get you on the news. We're going to get you on the news. And so I use the metaphor sometimes that we're the, we're the SWAT team and a lot of other PR firms are the mall cops. Uh, uh, if you really want on the news, we're going to kick in the door. We're going to climb down the chimney or we'll break a window. We'll get you on the news. But it may not be with the idea that you came up with. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've never taken off my journalist hat since I launched Real News PR. In fact, the very name we call, the, the very reason we called Real News PR, Real News PR was to the journalists. We're saying to the journalists, if we're pitching this story to you, it's because it's real news. And I recognize that if I sold out, if I ended up letting the, the client tell me what the angle was and how to pitch, I could easily um, lose all the credibility and all the goodwill that I've managed to achieve in the last 13 years of considering the, the media as my primary client and my paying client as my secondary client. Um, clients are going to come and go. But the media, as you know, sometimes they can be in a market or at a network for 30, 40 years. And all it takes is one really bad, insulting pitch to you know, ruin your relationship with that journalist. What is unique about what you said is any PR company usually talks about client-centric messages. But what you talked about is to make the client successful, you really need to maintain your quality and your brand threshold because the media trusts you and any message that comes through you automatically gets the real PR, like some kind of an Intel inside logo or stamp on it. That changes the threshold of acceptance of that. Yes, I mean, the media trusts me and I, and I, I value that trust and I will do nothing to betray that trust. Mm-hmm. So client comes to me with an idea. I say to them, eh, I don't think that's newsworthy, but how would you feel about this? How do mm-hmm. you feel about this story? And if the client says, yeah, I could talk about that story. Uh, I get on the phone with the journalist and I say, hey, and I have these relationships with journalists across the country that I can call and, and they'll be honest with me and they'll say, yeah, Jeff, I, I don't know. I'm not crazy about that. Or yeah, I see where you're going with that. I can make that work. Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll put your client on the news. And that um, rapport that I've developed over the course of 13 years of doing this is so critical to me. Uh, we have a relationship with um, networks where we're getting our clients on daily. Um, it, this is very unusual for a PR firm. I have uh, one and a half uh, employees that do nothing but capture our clients on the news. That's their full-time job, hmm. to record them on the news and then create a social media post for, for the client. Um, I think it's, it's, you'd be hard pressed to find a PR firm in the country that is doing that volume of news business where they can employ a, a person and a half just to capture their success. Hmm. Wow. But as I was listening to this whole thing, I want to celebrate something even bigger. And my big celebration is when I ask this question, a coolest of cool Emmy-winning reporter told me that's a great question. How can I talk that? So I'm just done. I'm just having a drop the mic moment right here. You're too kind. You're too. Kind. And thank you for liking my question. You know, you know, it's all about me. So I just had to celebrate that. <laughs> You're too kind. So let's take a step back. And you talk briefly about different clients, and I don't want to get into confidentiality or anything, but in a bigger picture, please share what you are comfortable sharing. Is there a moment 
when you accomplish something and the client had the glitter on his or her eyes, looking at you by saying, Jeff, I just can't believe you pulled that off, man. Is there a moment like that you want to share? So I do have a moment, and this happened recently. This is, uh, we, we were hired by an astronaut uh, and he hired us basically three days before Sir Richard Branson took off. But he had uh, just come off a bad relationship with a, with a PR firm that didn't get him anything. I think he might've gotten one podcast interview in 30 days. And so when he was on the phone with me, this is a Thursday right before Sir, Sir Richard Branson takes off on a Sunday, he calls me up and says, um, hey, I wanna hire you, but to be honest with you, I'm very jaded. I'm very skeptical about our ability to have success together. And I said, why is that? And he told me the story about this other PR firm that had only gotten one media placement in 30 days. And I told the client, the astronaut, uh, I'm promising you 30 placements in 30 days. He says, yeah, but I, I heard that from the last PR firm. I said to myself, okay, well, let me just prove it to him. So I put him on hold. I called an, one of our, my network friends that I have and uh, said to this uh, booking producer, hey, uh, did you know that Sir Richard Branson takes off on Sunday? No, is that Sunday? Yes. Hey, I've got an astronaut on the other line. Um, do you have the ability to book a radio tour for tomorrow morning? She says, yeah, we've got a slot open. And by radio tour, I mean, the, the client ends up doing 10 to 12 back to back to back to back radio interviews for four hours. Mm -hmm. So I merged the call between my friend in New York and the astronaut client. And I said, hey, I've got a booker from uh, a network on the phone. She wants to know what you're doing tomorrow morning because she'd like to invite you to do up to a dozen interviews back to back to back to back. <laughs> and uh, he says, I am wide open. And then he found himself blurting out. He said, damn, you're good. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's a recent example of somebody that I made happy. And and then shortly after, after that, um, series of interviews, uh, he ended up doing more interviews about Jeff Bezos. And so I promised the client 30 interviews in 30 days. I think he's up around 70 interviews so far in this 30 days and the 30 days aren't up yet. That's close to 233% of the promise rate. Thank you. So let's look at some very specific target audiences. I just throw a few target audiences and I would request you to give maybe a one, two line advice to that person. Sure. One is this person who wanted to write a book, all his life's experience he has put it on a book. He brings the book to you. What is the first question you asked that author? I asked them, what are they an expert in? Even if you're writing fiction, usually fiction is based on something that you've experienced or studied. And so I say to the, the client, you know, what is, what is your, your expertise? And the, I say that because we specialize in experts. Mm -hmm. we, we love experts. The media always needs doctors, lawyers, mental health experts, realtors. Um, you're an expert in your field. We've talked about that offline, that you're an expert in crisis communications. So if you know what your expertise is, then you say to yourself, when is my feeding frenzy? And so let's, let's use you as an example. Um, Simone Biles, 
is uh, the biggest story in the country. And she just announced that she's going to compete tomorrow. Um, there's something of a crisis going on clearly for her brand. Um, you know, people are questioning, some people are questioning her courage that they don't completely understand mental health. I think you would be perfect to talk about this because she may end up being remembered more for her courage to talk about mental health than she, uh, you know, any of her accomplishments uh, in the gym. And uh, so I would turn to a guy like you on a, on a story like Simone Biles, because the media is fascinated with this story. What is, you know, what does this mean for the Olympic team? What does this mean for her personal brand? How will history remember her? And you would be perfect to talk about a story like that. Well, so yesterday I was on a C-Suites network event late evening and every person had a very strong opinion. And, and these were, if Simone was in the room, she would cry because these are people who do not know her, who do not know anything about gymnastics. So finally I asked them by saying, how, how many of you have been a gymnast? None. So I talked to them by saying, hey, you know, because I'm curious about this case, I just first wanted to know. And I asked two gymnasts and a swimming, a diver, what their body goes through. And what I realized was during training, the amount of flips and everything they do, they put themselves, if you aggregate everything, through an obscene amount of anti-gravity moves, which for a normal person is a big risk. Second, I asked them, do you understand that around Simone, there is this whole group of people who have their vested interest in Simone's performance, the coaches. The coaches don't get to perform, but their performance appraisal is based on Simone. So what kind of, you know, are any of these people in a crisis looking at Simone or are they looking at her? And then finally, I said, if you were in a situation where you had a life risk, you had gone through abuse and you're surrounded by people, you doubt whether they're giving you the right advice, what would you do? It was, and again, I just felt that it's very easy for us, like people were bringing her into a leadership situation by saying a leader never quits with the team, you know, it's like movie 300 part three, like the lever, you know, we are going into war and you just don't quit right there, okay? And this is a total different journey and I'm really glad you talked about it. So I also want to take you a different situation and I have quite a few friends. These are former CEOs and founders. As they're retiring, they want, they have this urge to bring their message forward. What would your advice be to those incredible individuals who earlier worked in organizations with PR firms, moved the brands, but now need to get their legacy messages out? So I, two big things that I'm passionate about, actually three. I, I think obviously we talked a lot about the mainstream media. The mainstream media needs their expertise. And as a former CEO, they certainly have a lot of insights into things that are going on every single day in America. If you just pick up the Wall Street Journal or go online to 
WSJ.com, you're going to see headlines that those uh, CEO friends that you described could easily weigh in on from their own particular expertise. Uh, thing two, I, I love public speaking. I know you're, you're a speaker. Public speaking is a great way to get your message out. Uh, I'll be speaking next week at a, a local chamber of commerce. Um, I think it's always good for a person who's thinking about launching a business or coaching or advisory practice to get out there and press the flesh, meet people. And public speaking is a phenomenal way to do it. And then finally, podcasting, uh, what you're doing right now, you've positioned yourself as a thought leader, you're interviewing other very smart people, your, your, your network is, is expanding. And the people that you're putting on your, your podcast are proud of the finished product. And so they're blasting it out over their social media and who's on their social media, other people that you probably want to meet. So I think, uh, you know, you, it sounds like you're doing everything right. And I would advise the CEOs that you uh, are watching this, this uh, video to really think and pray about using the media, launching their own podcast and public speaking. Those are the big three. So if you talked about your dad being an incredible inspiration, who else has been big personal or professional major inspirations in your life and how they have shaped your path? So I'm going to give you a strange one. It's a former competitor of mine. And I don't think he even realized it at the time, but he was, he was mentoring me by beating me every day. I was in Omaha, Nebraska, and there is a reporter there. He's still there today. His name is Mike McKnight. And I was a young reporter, and he was more of a veteran reporter. And I promise you, every single day, I lived in fear of the 5 o'clock news. Hmm. Because the 5 o'clock news was when he was beating me on yet another story. And I was having to explain to my bosses why Mike McKnight beat me on that story. Well, I would lick my wounds and I would call the person that he interviewed for that story. And I'd say, hey, you don't know me from Adam. Clearly, you know Mike McKnight. He interviewed you last night on the five o'clock news. I'm his competitor. How did Mike get that story? And they would say, well, Mike calls two or three times a week. And I would say to them, well, I'm going to call you four or five times a week. <laughs> so after about a year of him beating me, he kind of showed me where all his acorns were buried. <laughs> and, I, and I started to beat Mike at his own game. And, um, and that was when I knew I needed to move on from Omaha. But um, I communicated with him about six months ago. He happened to send me an email. and I told him how much I admired him and how much... Uh, schooling he gave me just by beating me every single day. Now, as you're talking about this, you know, many a time when we as individuals face a hurdle, it's very easy to blame the hurdle and talk to people to get empathy, sympathy, everything else, and then take a different course in life, but never try to overcome that. I just want to share a small story. I was at Papa John's we were starting our online business. And those days, Jack Trout, who wrote a lot of amazing marketing books with Al Reeves, he was a consultant who sent to John Schnotter, our founder, a fax. Those days, we used to send faxes. And the fax said very, very clearly to John, John, this online thing is something scary. Be really cautious before you jump into this brave new world. 
And of course, those days, John did not have an email or a computer. What he did was listening to Jack Trout, which I would have done the same thing too, removed a zero from my budget. I hated Jack Trout. But I went through the hate for two days. And then I told my team, guys, 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 something big has happened. They're like, what? I'm like, do you realize Jack Trout chose us to prove him wrong? I think if the Jeff Creeley chooses me to prove him wrong, like it is a responsibility that Jeff doesn't give anybody. And that became our impetus to take our fewer dollars to take it beyond. Years later, I met Jack. I was on a, on a call with him and I told him, sir, you know, I want to thank you. And he was very embarrassed. He said, I never sent the facts. Of course, he was joking. I said, no, sir, you're not understanding. I'm so glad you chose me to send the facts to because I really think without you sending the facts, we wouldn't have pushed hard. So I really like your example from Omaha is inspirations come in different forms, sometimes in the form of a competition or a barrier. I really think that attitude of overcoming it makes us really take to the next level. Absolutely. And just to put an explanation point on that, I think we all were tested during COVID and are still being tested with the Delta variant. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the strong survive, people learn to pivot. Think about all those restaurants, you were in the restaurant industry, all those restaurants who really hadn't figured out takeout service, almost had to overnight figure out takeout service or, or close. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, the folks who were able to make a very nimble pivot um, actually did very well during COVID. And the ones that were tied to old technology and not uh, a willingness to change, uh, we all know favorite restaurants that are no longer here. And um, so I think uh, 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 some words of wisdom from everybody watching this, this, um, this video is, you know, life is gonna change on you. I mean, change is the only thing that's consistent, right? And it's how quickly you can adapt to the change. And I mean, the famous example we all know is Blockbuster. They, you know, Kodak didn't see digital cameras, right? They're, they're, you, you can't be tied to the past and you have to always be willing to see what your competition is doing and learn from your competition. So now let's change gear. You just walked into this conversation. Jeff today is going to have a cup of coffee or tea or dinner with 16-year-old Jeff and 100-year-old Jeff. Three amazing men sitting together, sharing stories. What would the conversation be like? What would Jeff 16 say? What would Jeff 100 say? Um, I think Jeff 16 would look at uh, Jeff 57, soon to be 58, and say, wow, you did well. Uh, Jeff 58 would say to Jeff 16, um, enjoy, don't, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't, don't um, sacrifice living life uh, in favor of you know, chasing what society sees as success because I've, I spent too much time, I think in my 20s being you know, anchorman. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't really enjoy the college experience the way I probably should have. And then the 100-year-old Jeff would say to both of us, 
<laughs> do you know how lucky you guys are <laughs> that you have the the youth and vitality to accomplish anything you want to accomplish the 100 year old jeff uh would probably uh give us both a hug and say you're both still taking yourself too seriously <laughs> uh stop and smell the roses both of you guys and if you still have dreams and things on your bucket list to do do it now don't don't and there's a famous expression called the one day novel i'm going to write a novel one day and one day never happens well if you read the bible it says we're not promised tomorrow you know i'm not promised the rest of this evening so if there are things on your your bucket list to do what are you waiting for uh, that's a wonderful question i got two wonderful questions from the emmy winning <laughs> jeff so jeff you know you have a lot on your plate not only you're managing clients but you're also the chief happiness officer for your team you're always looking out because media is changing you are always also the chief innovation officer with so many hats there has to be a process because i feel success like yours which has happened first for 25 years in a career and then after that you know of seen amount of years and still going strong so what's your secret process like what's the first thing you do when you're starting your work day what's the last thing you do if you're comfortable sharing please yeah so um i i get up every morning at 5 to begin my day and i do that because i i do a joyful exercise in which i compose a unique email that goes out to 34,000 journalists right now uh i think i've added you to the subscription list so you're starting to see what i do every day but i come up with unique storylines for the media and um it's a ritual that i have not broken in more than 12 years not christmas day not new year's day for 12 years there's a wonderful new york times best selling book called the power of habit and it essentially says you know in 28 days anything that you do consistently can become a habit uh getting up to work out at the gym can become a habit starting a new diet can become a habit well i started this habit of getting up every morning to write this email that i cannot even imagine like when my wife says let's go to europe The first thing I'm thinking is okay where's the Wi-Fi what time zone will I be because I'm going to put this thing out. Okay so that's uh that's what I do in the morning and it's my joy. It's I call it my crossword puzzle. People say well your company's gotten large enough where you could hire somebody to to do that, right Jeff? And of course I could hire somebody to do it. But no, this is this is my crossword puzzle. You would never say to your grandpa, "Hey, we can hire somebody to do the crossword puzzle for you." Because that's his joy and that's in my daily email is my joy. Last thing I do, my wife and I like to to watch TV in the evenings. I'm kind of a early bird, so by 8:39 I'm starting to uh get ready for bed. Um I turn off my technology, uh I kiss my wife goodnight. I uh, am blessed that I fell in love with my soulmate. She's my best friend on the planet and uh we've been through a lot together. And so that that ritual of um waking up with a smile on my face, ready to greet the day and going to sleep with my best friend every night, I think keeps me com- completely grounded and very very happy. Now, thank you for sharing this and thank you for also sharing about your wife and the incredible connections you guys have. and maybe i should have asked the question is jeff 100 with his wife sitting and talking because i wish both of you a happy life together so last question i really thought about this a lot 
if Jeff was interviewing Jeff, what would be the question Jeff really wants to ask? And this better be super Emmy level, okay? <laughs> That's no a pressure. lot of pressure. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. What would Jeff ask Jeff? Uh, Jeff would ask Jeff, what's your happiness level today? And what can we do um, if, it, if, it's, if it's 10 out of 10, what can we do to get it to an 11? Uh, because I'm very keen on looking at how do I spend my day? Am I doing what I'm born to do? Am I doing things that give me joy or drain my joy? And I've got 20 full-time employees now, so I certainly can offload stuff that causes me stress or anxiety or things that um, don't provide joy. And a big aha that I discovered in the course of running this company, because I'm kind of a control freak, I like, I like to have my hands on everything. Uh, by releasing control, uh, you gain control of your life. And what I mean by that is by hiring other people to do those things that drain your joy, uh, you get so much time back, you get so much energy back, you get so much joy back. And so um, I'm always in my happy place. When people see me floating around the company, uh, it's usually with a big smile on my face, giving tours, interviewing people on my podcast, uh, and, and complimenting my employees on the wonderful job that they're doing. At the end of a podcast, Clint and myself, we sit back and think about the title of the podcast. And to me, I think this podcast is not just what you said, it's how you said it. If I have to name the podcast right now, I would name it Born Happy, Live Happy. Mm. Because I really feel through PR, you're making your team happy, you're making your clients happy. And I strongly believe that if Jeff, instead of PR, was in any other profession, he would still, making everybody happy would be such an important thing for the middle child who really turned out to be simply awesome. Wow. So Jeff, thank you for taking time today. Truly appreciate your time. Really a fascinating conversation. Thank well, you're you. an amazing interviewer and you've asked me some of the more challenging questions I've ever been asked in my life. And so I may, I'm a, I'm a great, uh, uh, they always say uh, 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 mimicking is the greatest, uh, you know, form of flattery. I think those last two questions you asked me, I may borrow. <laughs> I may borrow from my own podcast. <laughs> those were brilliant. Absolutely. And please do that because that's another thing on my bucket list is I want an Emmy winning reporter mimicking two of my questions. That's my final thing on my list. So thank you again, my friend. Truly amazing. Thank you. What a blessing. Thank you. Thank you all. And now you know why I brag about having the best seat in the house. This was such a fascinating conversation. And again, I started this with a very simple mission that I really want to discover the journey of this coolest, very successful, effective PR professional. But what I realized was his success, of course, he is darn good in what he does. Okay, that's required. But today, Jeff, you showed me a very simple concept I have about life. I feel people play either in one dimension, which is what I'm good at. 80% of people are on that one dimension. 
Then another 15 to 20 to 18 percent play on a second dimension also is what I'm good at and what I have fun. Then there's a rare few Jeff, that is you, who play on a third dimension, making impact on others. So when you find that one person or each one of us find to play on the impact that we are making, along with what we are good at and what makes us happy, wow. so thank you again. Thank you all for sharing this exciting conversation and truly appreciate that. Happy listening and looking forward to bringing you another conversation with another cool leader. But this one may be tough to meet, but we'll try. Thank you. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.